Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. God bless you and welcome to you. Thank you for tuning in. Today we are in the book of Revelation and we are moving forward into the last part, the best part of Revelation. And so we want to begin today in Revelation chapter 21. And to do that, I'd like for us to read the first five verses, which is what we will cover today. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And we're going to look at these verses today. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Today we are going to talk about the new heaven and the new earth in an introductory form in just these few verses. This fulfills and wraps up various prophecies also, and I want us to look at some of those because as we have seen in the book of Revelation, everything that had been yet unfulfilled will find its fulfillment in this book. And this is also true about this new heaven and new earth that had been prophesied of old. And so now we're going to understand how it comes into play. And so the first place I want us to look is Isaiah chapter 65. In Isaiah chapter 65, I want to begin the reading in verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people the voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Hallelujah. So we see here the prophetic word given through Isaiah about the new heaven and the new earth and about the new Jerusalem, which John is now seeing coming down from heaven. And notice how God says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to be dwelling with my people in the holy city, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Praise be to God. Next in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22 and 23 says this, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make 
shall remain before me, says the Lord. So shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Hallelujah. So this is also speaking about the new heaven and the new earth, this new Jerusalem. Hallelujah. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful time. And notice this. He says he's going to make it and it's going to remain. In other words, it's going to continue and last forever. We're talking about now what we call the eternal state or the state or the age of eternity. It's a, it's a new heaven and a new earth, a new time. And it's a forever time. Praise be to God. It is enduring and eternal. Jesus is the king in his domain with God also on the throne, God the Father. If you'll remember in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 and in other places as well, Jesus is given an everlasting kingdom. And he is also prophesied to be king priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I want us to look next at 2 Peter chapter 3, and I want to begin the reading in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now we saw the time period when that happens in the last episode, when Jesus comes and we have the great white throne judgment, the earth and the the Heavens flee away, and by the time we get to Revelation 21, verse 1, they are passed away. It's a past tense. It's done. They're gone. Continuing in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 11 now. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening? That word hastening means urging it on. The coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Praise be to God. So both Isaiah and Peter mention to us and expect and remind us of the promise, the prophetic promise from Isaiah, and Peter here even confirms that, of this new heaven and new earth. And notice, Peter says that we Christians are not only promised it, but expecting it. We're looking for it. Is there expectancy in us for this coming in? for this coming time when we will be seeing and a part of the new heaven and the new earth. Peter tells us here that righteousness dwells in it forever. And he gives us an instruction for today. There are many in the scriptures, and we will look at some more in time to come. But I just want to cover a few as we go through this episode today. The one that Peter gives us in this context, he says this, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. I want to stop for just a moment. 
Paul spoke about that too when he talked about the bride of Jesus Christ and that Jesus is coming back for a pure and spotless bride. Praise be to God. Verse 15 of 2 Peter 3. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. So in other words, Peter is saying here, the reason we hadn't seen it come to pass yet is because there's still more people coming to know Jesus, coming to be a part of his family, accepting him, believing on him, and becoming brand new creations in him. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. God is still calling people to himself. If you don't know him today, call upon his name and be saved today. Let him wash your sins away. Let him forgive you and make you brand new and write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because the only people who will be here, a part of the new heaven and the new earth, are all those whose names are found written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ, according to Psalm 87, verse 5 and 6, He Himself, the Lord, will write your name in His book. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Peter tells us that the first heaven and earth are now gone. And we confirm that here in Revelation 21, verse 1. They're done. They're gone. They have passed away. John also notes this, which is interesting, that there will be no more sea. This makes us question, because there, he doesn't go into detail about what that means specifically. So it's just a curious note that maybe we won't understand until we get there. I don't know, but I find it very interesting. I would like to make just a couple comments on it, though. Just things for thought, food for thought. We're unsure of what this is. It could mean just water and oceans. There's no more need for that in the new heaven and the new earth. Perhaps we won't be dependent on the water like mankind is now. We don't know. Or perhaps, just to throw this out as a thought, the laver in Solomon's temple, Solomon called it the sea. And in the temple, in the days of the temple, the, the laver was used for continual cleansing. As they served in the temple, their feet and their hands would get dirty, slaying the animals and doing all of those things. And so they needed a source of continual cleansing from the living water from the pool of Siloam. And that was put into the laver. And the laver was called the sea in the days of Solomon's temple. Maybe this could be figuratively referencing that because by the time we get to Revelation 21 and 22, all of that is gone. There's no more need for any form of cleansing. We've been washed by the blood of Jesus and are now experiencing forever fellowship with him. Now, I don't know if that's what this means or not, but I just find it interesting that John is told and, and makes that note that when he sees the new heaven and the new earth, there's no more sea. John also sees the new Jerusalem as a gift from God coming down from heaven. And notice he says it is like a bride adorned for her husband. It's not the bride. The bride of Christ is his body, those who have called upon him 
and become born again of the Spirit of the living God. We are the bride of Christ. But he says it's like a bride adorned for her husband. In other words, it is all beautiful and glorious. Beautiful beyond description. Brides, they will pay dearly to have their hair done, their nails done, the, the wedding dress, get it tailored. You know, they have people that help them get set up and set the veil quite right and everything. I mean, it is adorned to the hilt. There are jewels and pearls and other things with a bride on her wedding day. And, and John is making a similar reference. Now, it was different in those days in terms of the way the bride would dress and so forth than what we may know in modern American ideas or, or wherever we're from in our nations. But the point is, it's going to be adorned. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be glorious. There's been work put into it to make it a beautiful home for the bride, this new Jerusalem. It's going to be all beautiful and all glorious. And notice this. This decree comes from heaven that the tabernacle of God is now freely with his people. The tabernacle of God is with his people. He will dwell with them. He will be their God and they will be his people. That includes us, beloved friend. If we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we know him as our personal Lord and Savior, that's us. God is going to dwell with us. The tabernacle of God will be with us. Now, when we see the tabernacle of God, it reminds us of the tabernacle that Moses was instructed to make. And why was Moses instructed to make it? What was the reason and the purpose for building the tabernacle in Moses' day? We find the answer to that question in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, it says this. God is speaking here, and it says this. He says this. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. The purpose for the original tabernacle God commanded the children of Israel to make was that it be a place, a holy place, where he could dwell among his people. Now, I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. It blows my mind that the original thought from God was, I want to dwell with my people. I want to be with them. We can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and see that as well. In Genesis chapter 3, man has sinned. Man and woman have sinned and broken fellowship with God. Because, and we know that there was this continual fellowship with God because of what verse 8 tells us. Let's read verses 8 through 10 of Genesis chapter 3. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And then God goes on and he asked them the question about the, the had they disobeyed him and then they, they, they do the blame game and then comes the curses and 
the result of that praise be to God in the mercy and the promise of redemption of mankind for, from their sins. But the point here is that there was a walking in the cool of the day. God was in fellowship with Adam and Eve on a continual basis until sin interrupted that and broke off that fellowship. Sin is like a dam that holds back the, the river or the lake. I remember when I was homeschooling children years ago, my children years ago, and we did a field trip to the Corps of Engineers at a local lake area near us. And they took us into the control room and showed us the different controls and they took us down and they showed us at the dam how, you know, they control the water and how basically it trickles. But the dam holds back the lake. If the dam were to break, they told us, you know, it would take out several cities along the, the river that flowed from it and so forth. And, and some even near our area where we live. And so we saw the power of that dam interrupting the lake and holding it back. Sin is like that. Sin shows up, sin gets in our life, and it, it interrupts the flow. Now, God has a lake of blessings that he wants to pour into our lives, not destructively, but in a nice, beautiful flow that will bless us. But when we are in sin, we stick a dam up, and he can't bless us as much as he wants to. And so the water might just trickle through, but we don't get the showers and the blessings that he longs to give us. Sin is like that dam. And that's what happened. And so God comes. Notice this. Now, God initiates the redemption. God initiates the restoration of the relationship with Adam. It's all God's doing. He comes and he says, he hunts them. He says, Adam, where are you? Now, God knew exactly where they were hiding. He could see before he came to the garden that day. He knew exactly where they were. He wasn't asking them a question so that he could get information from them that he didn't know. He was asking them the question so that they would recognize that the fellowship had been broken. God knew where Adam was, but Adam didn't understand where Adam was. He didn't understand what had just happened in the breaking of the fellowship until he tries to run and hide from God's presence. He had never ran and hidden from God's presence before. There had never been any need. There was sweet fellowship. That's what God has always longed for, is relationship with mankind. That's what it's all about and always has been about. Praise be to God. We see that that's the purpose behind the original tabernacle of Moses. That's the purpose God's always had from even from Eden with Adam and Eve. And it's still his purpose. He has always been longing to have relationship with people. That's why he created all of us in the first place. Hallelujah. And so when we sin now, we are able to remove that dam. First John 1 John 1.9 tells us, and this is written to Christians, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise be to God. So here in Revelation 21, we have forever fellowship. But not just forever restoration of fellowship with God, but we have blessings to boot. Over and above what we are worthy of, 
over and above what we could even ask, think, or imagine, just like it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He is the God who does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could even ask or think. God is just that good. He's so good. Oh, friend, if you don't know him, I encourage you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Praise be to God. Notice some of these blessings that we are given, things that are important to us, things that will encourage us today. This will happen. Our tears, every tear will be wiped away, wiped off. Do you know that when someone wipes a tear away, it speaks of a close nearness and a tenderness where it's intricately done? Tears, tears being wiped away is something tender. It's something sweet. It's something that's not done rashly or harshly. It's done tenderly and it's done by someone near in that moment. How beautiful is that picture that God will wipe away each and every one of our tears intimately, intricately, himself. He'll be that near to us. These tears are representative perhaps of sorrow and grief that, that were from the old life. We don't know. Maybe they were tears of regret, tears of lost opportunity, whatever the, the cause of them. God will wipe them all away. It says so also in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. And for the sake of time, I just reference that, encourage you to read it. Isaiah 25, verse 8. Notice there will also be no more death and no more grief because of death. There'll be no more death. I'd like for us to read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is Paul's great treatise on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and on the resurrection period, what that means for us and what it will mean in us being changed, given our spiritual bodies and death ending. Notice this in verse 26 of that chapter. He says this, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. If you'll remember in Revelation 20, in one of the last episodes, we just saw that where death is cast into the lake of fire, both death and Hades or the grave, are both gone forever. There is no more death at this point. If you jump on down in that same chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, and let's read verses, and let's read verses 54 through 57. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? Paul's quoting Hosea chapter 13, verse 14 there. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. Death will be swallowed up in victory. And at this point in Revelation 21, there will be no more death. They are gone. Praise God. We are told another forever blessing. No more sorrow or crying. This is told to us in Isaiah chapter 35 verse 10 and repeated in Isaiah 51 verse 11. 
It's also found in Isaiah 65, verse 19, the promise, the unfulfilled promise that there will come a time, and now in Revelation 21, now is that time where there will be no more sorrow and no more crying. Think about that. No more sorrow, no more crying. No more. There'll be no more cause for it. There'll be no more heartbreak. There'll be no more pain and suffering. There'll be no more broken relationships or brokenness. There'll be no more physical ailments and pain. As a matter of fact, the next forever blessing we will have in that place is no more pain, no more anguish, no more misery. It's interesting that the root word from which that comes is talking about toiling for daily sustenance or starving. In other words, no more no more needs that are so dear and so dire that they bring us to anguish, they bring us to suffering, they bring us pain and anguish, great troubles. There'll be no more of that. And when John uses these Greek words for no more, it is an absolute negative, not one, not even one more, no more at all, period. And the reason being the former things are all gone. The former things of this life, the things that caused us grief are no more. The things that caused us pain are no more. Imagine that. I don't know about you, but in the last few years, I know pain and I know suffering like I've never known it before in many ways. But God is faithful and God is bringing me through and I praise him for it until he's done with me and takes me home. And I want to continue to serve him and I hope you do too. But we know pain, we know suffering, we know afflictions in this life. We know anguish and misery from broken relationships, from hurts and wounds. We know these things. But in that day, those former things that we know now will be gone. There'll be no more of them. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more grief. Praise God. These are forever blessings in and on top of the forever fellowship that we have. God on the throne now decrees, behold, in other words, this is of utmost importance, pay attention, listen up. I, I myself, the original creator in the first place, now I am creating a fresh and a new, a brand new thing. I'm making all things new fresh, new in every way, unprecedented, unheard of before. I want to close us out by looking at a few final scriptures here. The first one is in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. Paul quotes from this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'd like to read beginning in verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, and here he quotes Isaiah's words, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God 
has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So God is continually giving us revelation through his word of these various things. But we will not know the whole of it until we are there. And it will be beauty beyond description. Beauty beyond what we could even ask, think, or imagine in this life. Praise be to God. This newness that God will create. He spoke about it also in Isaiah 65, verse 17, which we read much earlier. John was made then and told that he needed to write these words because these things are true and faithful. In other words, they are certain. You can take it to the bank, so to speak. It will happen. We will enter this time of forever fellowship and blessing, this time of glorious beauty that will never be interrupted. Praise be to God. I want to end with this concept. I've mentioned this in several of my various teachings, and so you may have heard me say it before. I don't know. But I call Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22 the bookends of the Bible. The problem is now the serpent until Revelation 20 when that old serpent is thrown into the lake of fire to be tormented there forever and ever. The problem comes in there with the serpent and all of the need for redemption and salvation. All of that is in in Genesis 3 through Revelation chapter 20. But Genesis 1 and 2 was the perfect world that God had created with fellowship ongoing with Adam and Eve in the first place. And now when you come to Revelation 21 and 22, it's being fully restored. Peter called it in Acts, the restitution of all things. In other words, now God is restored and made a brand new creation in Revelation 21 and 22 that will give him the ability now to fellowship with his people in an enduring forever fellowship that will never be interrupted by sin again, that will never be stopped. Now, we're not going to be some fat little cherub flying around on clouds with a harp in our lap. I mean, that that's just, it's a crazy image. I don't know where it came from, but it's not going to be like that. We're going to be active. We're going to be worshiping the Lord. We're going to be doing things. Who knows what God has in store, ultimately? Who knows? He may have us gardening. He may have us singing and worshiping. He may have us planting and reaping harvests from vineyards. Who knows what God has? He may have us taking care of horses and animals. Who knows? I don't know what all God has in store for that. But I know that it's going to be a beautiful time, a beautiful life with a new heaven and a new earth and God himself dwelling with us in true, sweet, forever fellowship. Praise be to God. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.